sang. Thank you that you are mighty and compassionate, gracious to your people. You are a friend like no other. You know everything about us. You care for us. Your grace is sufficient for every need. And we're just so thankful that you have made yourself known to us. The Spirit opened our blind eyes to see you as the Lord and Savior and treasure that you are. That you gave us faith to embrace you as our all. I pray for anyone who's here this morning who doesn't know you, who's never trusted you to forgive their sins and to restore them to God. Lord, that even today they might come to know you and enjoy you. Lord, we rejoice this morning with Brittany and Andrew and this baby Winnie that you have given them in just these last couple days. Lord, what a answer to so many prayers over so long a time. And so we just rejoice with them. And we also know others are hurting. We think of Tom and his back surgery this week and others who are sick or just under it for some reason. And so, Lord, thank you that you're sufficient for every need and every situation. Your grace is enough. Lord, we pray that we would grow to believe that more and more and experience that more and more, that no matter what, um, you are always there and you are enough. So, Lord, as we open your word now, would you draw near to us? Would you speak through your spirit to us? Would you give us hearts that are teachable and grant us to have stronger faith? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There was an ad a few years ago that said, this is the day that the Lord has made. And at the moment, it really stinks. So we might know that the rest of the verse is supposed to say, let us rejoice and be glad in it. But we also know that some days, that's really a challenge. Our text for today was designed to help us on those kind of days. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 142 to continue our study of summer psalms. Psalm 142. We'll look first at the superscription. It tells us, first of all, that it's a mosquito of David. A mosquito is the idea of instruction or teaching or wisdom. David had learned some profitable lessons through his difficult experiences, and he's writing this psalm for the benefit of others. He wants to share what he has learned with us so that we will be better equipped, have a better handle on how to respond when we face overwhelming situations. The next phrase says, when he was in the cave. So what is David, a man after God's own heart, doing in a cave? We discover from reading 1 Samuel that David had to hide in a cave at least twice to escape from Saul. Saul had been hunting 
David down, and after several close calls and narrow escapes, David ends up in a dark, damp cave. And then it says, a prayer. What else can we do in a crisis? Our own wisdom is not enough to figure it out. Our own strength isn't enough to fix things. But besides the obvious fact that we pray when we're in trouble, there are some things we can learn about how David prays in this psalm. So first, prayer is expressing our desperation to God. Verse 1 and 2. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. So to cry aloud or to cry out communicates the idea of urgency and intensity. One commentator compared it to the way a small child cries out for their parents when they're hurt or frightened. To make supplication is the idea of pleading for mercy. Mercy is God's tender compassion for those in misery or need. David knows he can't demand relief from his distress as if God owes it to him. He humbly requests that God would help him as an undeserved favor. And then he says, I'm going to pour out my complaint. We usually think of complaints as inappropriate. I hope you know Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. So you could look at that and say, well, David is wrong and we shouldn't follow his example. But there's another way to look at it. The first definition in the dictionary for complaint is to express pain or grief. Or a medical complaint is the symptom or distress about which a patient seeks assistance. So John Bloom wrote something on the Desiring God post that I think helps clarify this idea. When we complain, it is frequently evil. But complaining is not necessarily evil. There's a faithful, believing way to complain and a faithless, unbelieving way to complain. The Bible often refers to faithless complaining as grumbling and warns us not to do that. Grumbling complaints directly or indirectly declare that God is not sufficiently good, faithful, loving, wise, powerful, or competent. Otherwise, he would treat us better or run the universe more effectively. Faithless complaining is sinful because it accuses God of doing wrong. But faithful complaining does not impugn God with wrong. Rather, it is an honest, groaning expression of what it's like to experience trouble, anguish, and grief living in this fallen, feudal world. I think that's helpful. So if David is grumbling against God's dealings and saying God should be doing a better job, then don't follow his example. But if he is simply groaning in the midst of his troubles and honestly telling God, I'm having a hard time with this, then that's okay. The superscription for Psalm 102 reads, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So it's okay 
to give a complaint to the Lord in that sense, but not in the grumbling sense. And then trouble, he's going to declare his trouble, and none of us need a dictionary to know what that is. Job 5, 7 says, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. David tells God and us some of the troubles he's experiencing. Back in Psalm 142, verse 3 says, My spirit was overwhelmed within me. Literally fainted within me. So to faint is to be overcome by weakness or exhaustion. To lack strength or courage. To lose heart. When David's in the cave that day, he's feeling, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe you've got to that point at some point. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of all this. It's more than I can take. And then he goes on in chapter or 142, verse 3. In the way where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look over at Psalm 140, verse 5. The proud have hidden a trap for me, and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set snares for me. So basically saying, everywhere I go, it seems like something bad is waiting to happen to me. And then in verse 4, look to the right and see. For there's no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. No one regards or takes notice of me. People act like they don't know me. No one's willing to help me. And no one cares for my soul. I'm on my own. Many of us know the song that asks the question, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? And David says, Oh yeah, I know what that is. They are nowhere to be found. They're gone. The Apostle Paul also knew what it was like to be ditched at a time of need. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So that's pretty bleak. (laughs) So on trial for his life, he was kind of hoping for somebody to show up and be there for moral support and encouragement. And hey, we're with you here, Paul. No one. Everybody deserted. And then just sweetens the next verse. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So as the old song says, no one understands like Jesus. Other people don't care. They're not there. Can't count on them. Jesus is there. And he says, I have no refuge or no escape. There's no way out of this mess. There's nowhere to go that's safe. 
we sang, Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. And that's where David was at. So this psalm is a reminder that prayer is an expression of desperation to God. We can tell God honestly how we feel. We don't have to have our act together. We don't have to say it in nice words. We can pray, as David tells us in Psalm 62, 8, pour out your heart before him. Just pour it out. Doesn't have to be pretty. Just tell God what it's like. We also see in Psalm 142 that prayer is expressing our dependence on God. Let's look first at some things David knows and believes about God. Remember last week in Psalm 9, those who know your name, what you're like, your character, what you've revealed yourself to be, will put their trust in you. So let's look at some things David knows about God that's fueling his faith and building his trust and kind of informing his prayer. So back in Psalm 142 and verse 3, he says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. So even when I was overwhelmed and fainting and felt like I was in constant danger, you knew my path. Not just in the sense of you were aware of it, but you were watching over it. Think of Psalm 1, verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's not just an intellectual awareness. It's He cares about it. He considers it carefully. John Newton wrote a letter to a Mrs. S. to encourage her as she was going through some tough trials. He writes, I wish you much comfort from David's thought when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou knewest my path. The Lord is not withdrawn at a great distance, but his eye is upon you and he sees you, not with the indifference of a mere spectator, but he observes with attention. He knows, he considers your path, yea, he appoints it. And every circumstance about it is under his direction. Your trouble began at the hour he saw best, and he has marked the degree of it to a hair's breadth and the duration of it to a minute. He knows likewise how your spirit is affected and such supplies of grace and strength as he sees needful, he will afford. Therefore, hope in God. So just knowing that God knows, just knowing he cares and is considering our path, no matter what that path looks like and how bumpy or rough it is, that there's some encouragement in that. To know that he's there and he's watching over us. But there's more. Go to verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. The cave I am hiding in is just a temporary refuge from danger. But ultimately, you are the one who makes and keeps me safe from harm. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. 
or Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble, or the margin says, abundantly available for help in trouble. So other people may or not be available to help when we need them, but the Lord is always ready, willing, and able to help his people. And then he goes on to say, you're my portion in the land of the living. Portion is a word picture that goes back to the allocation of the promised land. The land was divided up according to the size of each tribe. The more people that were in a tribe, the more square miles they received as an inheritance. So the word over time came to express the idea sufficient for what's needed. And so David is saying, O oh Lord, You are all I need. We sang, Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. If I have you, it doesn't matter what else I have or don't have in any given situation. I have enough if I have you. This is what Matthew Henry said on this passage. Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. I depend upon you to be so. My refuge to save me from being miserable, my portion to make me happy. The cave I am in is but a poor refuge, Lord. Thy name is the strong tower that I run to. Thou art my refuge in whom alone I shall think myself safe. And the crown I am in hopes of is but a poor portion. I can never think myself well provided for until I know that the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Those who in sincerity take the Lord for their God shall find him all-sufficient, both as a refuge and as a portion, so that as no evil shall hurt them, so no good shall be wanting to them. There is enough in God to answer all the necessities of this present time. We live in a world of dangers and wants. But what danger need we fear if God is our refuge? Or what wants shall we fear if he be our portion? So we have everything we need to be safe and happy in this world because of God. So in the past, David says, when I was overwhelmed, you knew my path. Right now, I'm counting on you to be my refuge and my portion. And I'm confident that things aren't going to stay like this. Look at the end of verse 7. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So I'm stuck in this dark cave all by myself, but a day is coming when the righteous, those who are right in your sight, will surround me again. The reason why that's going to happen is because you have dealt bountifully with me. You have a good future in store for me even though at the moment things look pretty dark. So there's hope. Things are dark now, but they're not going to stay that way. A day is coming when things will be better. So David, along with many of us, has seen God's faithfulness in the past. He's depending on God to be his rock and portion in the present. He's hoping in God to take care of his future. And now we just want to look at the three prayer requests that David makes to God along with the reasons he gives for why God would answer. So 
verse 6. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. So why does David think God would give attention to his cry for help? It's because, or for, I am very low. So what's the connection? And again, it's an appeal to God's mercy. Mercy is God's tender inclination, compassion toward those in misery and need. David's saying, I'm very low. I'm in need. I'm in misery. And so being the God you are of mercy, I'm calling on you to intervene on my behalf. You take the cause of those who are miserable. I'm miserable. Hear me. Help me. The next phrase, deliver me from my persecutors. Why? For they are too strong for me. No one else is going to deliver me. I can't deliver myself. Those who are against me right now are too strong for me. I'm just not able to deal with them. But you are all powerful, so please rescue me. And I thought similar is Jehoshaphat's prayer in Second Chronicles, if you want to turn to that. This is such a useful prayer in so many situations. I commend it to you. Second Chronicles chapter 20, we look at verse 12. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. So they're too strong for me, just like David. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. So I just commend that prayer to you. You aren't going to have an invading army that's too powerful. That's, that first part maybe doesn't have a one-on-one matchup. But not knowing what to do, you're at a loss. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know the answer. I don't know where to go next. I don't know what to do, Lord. But my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. That's what prayer is, is looking to God, looking to Him, looking for His wisdom, His strength, His resources, His grace. I don't know what to do, looking to you, God. And then back in Psalm 142, the third request is in verse 7. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. My body is literally trapped inside this cave and I can't get out right now. And my soul feels like it's trapped too. It feels like my soul is stuck behind bars in a prison cell and I can't get out. So I'm looking to you, God, to do for me what I cannot do for myself Lord, set me free. 
Bring my soul out of this prison. Not just so I'll feel better, but so that I will give thanks to your name. And remember Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. You will honor me. So you're in trouble, call on God, pray. God will answer that prayer at the right time in the right way. And then we're not done. It's You'll honor me, you'll glorify me, you'll give thanks that I answered your prayer. And I think there's also just something really helpful here is a recognition. I can't give thanks to you in my current condition. I'm brought very low. Remember, you saw, said that phrase. Because of all these distressing circumstances, I am not feeling it. I know I can't just fake it. And so I'm asking you for enabling grace to give you thanks. So Thursday afternoon, someone came over to the church. I asked them, how are you? First thing out of their mouth, I'm having a hard time rejoicing, but I know I need to rejoice. And I asked, well, (laughs) what's going on? And they were very frustrated, not only with some physical sickness stuff, but just one car problem after another. Just one car problem by itself, that's kind of stinks in itself, but like if you just kind of keep having them like in short succession, you just kind of, at least some of us get a little bent out of shape on that. So if you knew the whole story, I won't go into the detail, but you won't throw any rocks at this person for saying, right now it's hard to rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm not really feeling the, let us be joyous and be glad in it. Okay? Stinks. And we all have days like that. Maybe you're this morning. You had a rotten week. You woke up in a foul mood. And you really didn't feel like praising God this morning in corporate worship with God's people. So then what do you do? Just stay home? Or fake it? Verse 7 provides a better option. Namely, ask God for his grace. Acknowledge I am completely dependent on you to do this. You've called me to give praise to your name. You're worthy of that. I don't feel it. I need help. We sang this morning in God's providence, because I didn't ask this specific song, the strength to follow your commands can only come from you. Right? It can never come from me. It has to come from God. So, yes, Brittany and Andrew, I think it was probably pretty easy to rejoice and give thanks to God this morning. But maybe that wasn't you this morning. And so, we're not just, oh, I won't give praise because I don't feel like it. I'll just gut it through. I ask. Have not because you ask not. Lord, you're worthy of thanks. Right now, my soul's in prison. It's hard to give you thanks, so please deliver my soul from prison. Set me free so I'm willing and able to give you the thanks that is due your name. 
It's just another application of Philippians 2, 12, and 13, isn't it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, including give honor and thanks and praise to God because it's do him as God. For it is God at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Give me the want to, give me the ability to give thanks to your name, even when it's hard to do. Well, what David wrote in this psalm presupposes that you already have a relationship with God. And if you're here and you just know about God, just kind of believe in God in a very vague way, but you don't know him personally through Christ, acknowledge I am cut off from God because of my sin. My attitudes and my actions are out of sync with what God rightfully requires of me. And there is a huge barrier between us. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And second, we, we turn from sin and we turn from any attempts to remove that barrier by anything we can do. Romans 5.6 says, While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Helpless doesn't mean we couldn't do very much. God had to do most of it, and then we kind of do our little thing. We couldn't do anything at all. We do nothing. We add nothing. We contribute nothing. We're absolutely helpless. And so our only hope is to trust Jesus Christ alone to forgive our sin and restore us to God 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. There's this substitution, his death instead of us, the righteous one instead of the unrighteous ones. That's us. Remove that barrier of sin so that he now can bring us to God and we be restored to God. And he rose again on the third day to show he had fully accomplished everything necessary to reconcile Sinners to a holy God. Close with 2 Corinthians. It says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. To God. So if you're not at peace with God this morning, be reconciled to God. Jesus is the only one that can do that. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you that you have made a way, the only way that we could ever be right with you now and forever. I thank you for the death and resurrection of Christ, that it's perfect sacrifice, took care of our sins. He did everything to make us acceptable in your sight so that we are now your children if we believe in you. We're accepted in the beloved. We're yours forever. Lord, I pray for those who know you that we would trust you more and more as on the days that are tough or that we would find encouragement and strength and hope in your word. Lord, enable us to pray. We need help to grow in that. We don't always know how to pray as we ought. We don't always even think to pray. We just 
react or come up with something on our own, Lord. Please help us to become more and more dependent on you, consciously dependent on you in prayer. I pray again for anyone who doesn't know you this morning. Lord, how can they live in this world, let alone face the next world, if they don't know you? I pray that the Spirit would convict them of their need for Christ and draw him to the Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus.